Friday, the 5th of October, 2018. My name's Jeremy Medlin, and welcome to episode 10 of the Stock Market Movers podcast. Just before we kick off quickly, a reminder that nothing that I say today is financial advice. And if you're looking for personalised financial advice, I recommend recommend that you speak to an authorised financial advisor. The second thing is that everything that I do say is based off my own, own opinion. So don't go and do something based solely off what you hear. Um, so we've got a huge episode ahead of us today. Um, it's, it's the 10th episode. It's fantastic that we've made it to 10 episodes. Um, podcast is getting more and more listens. We I need more people listening to it. So if you know someone that's interested in the financial markets or stock investing, you know, send them the podcast and recommend that they have a listen. And if you haven't already, jump on Facebook, search Stock Market Movers and like the page. It's a good place to see when the new episodes come out as well. So we're going to pick up where we left off last week and, and follow up on two more retail stocks, specifically Helen Stein's Glassons and Michael Hill Jeweler. Then we're going to pivot to food production and talk about New Zealand King Salmon. I'm going to go on a bit of a, a political rant about electricity and, and petrol prices. Don't often do that, but I think it is, they're both in the news a bit right now, so it's worth talking about. And, you know, don't worry, we are going to talk also at the end about the Fletcher Building offer towards, well, the, the potential offer from Fletcher Building to Steel and Tube. So let's get stuck into it. The first stock that I'm going to talk about is probably one that I should have spoken about in last week's retail episode, but it's Hallenstein Glassens Holdings. They trade on the NZX under the ticker code HLG. They're one of the oldest companies in New Zealand. I think they were founded in Dunedin originally, and they've been trading for a long, long time on the NZX. They, they run two main retail outlet brands in New Zealand and Australia. So the first is Glassons, which, to be honest, I haven't been in very many times, but it specialises in female clothing. And the other one is Hellenstein Brothers, which specialise, I've been in a bit and a bit more, which specialises in male clothing. Um, and to be honest, they, they, they really did hit it out of the park over the last year. Um, so they released their full year results to the market last week and it came with a, a net revenue increase of 16.2% to $277 million. Um, and free cash flow of about $27 million. Um, so our cash flow after capital expenditures, which places them a market capitalization of about three hundred and fifty million, which places them on about thirteen times three free cash flow. So, you know, stocks reasonably it's not it's not certainly not as cheap as as what it was, but it it's it's you know, not not expensive considering the rest of the market as well. So they also declared a, a full year div a a full year dividend of twenty four cents per share, which brings the the full year re- dividend to forty four cents per share, which um, places it on about seven and a half percent dividend yield. Now, this is a stock that I I missed a few years back when it was trading at about eleven percent dividend yield. I think retrospectively that would have been a a good opportunity to buy the stock, but in saying that, it's it's these, these are pretty good results. So th- they they pointed towards a refined buying strategy, a focus on digital, increased customer experience and tighter cost control um, as, as the, the driving factors behind the result. Um, and the, the revenue growth, both Hallenstein's and Glassons, it was, it was pretty good in New Zealand and Australia, especially Australia, which Glassons was 
up 56.7% in Australia to, to 78.42 million in terms of total sales. And, you know, that's, you know, you, you don't expect that from a retailer. So that that's fantastic. And Helen Steins was up 6.4% and Glassons in New Zealand was up 8.1%. More established market here, I guess, so you don't expect the numbers to be as high. Um, impressively, online growth, so I guess digital sales, they increased 63.6%, and it now represents 8.12.8% of turnover. So it'll be really interesting to see, you know, I, I doubt they can continue to grow at, at 63% per year, but it'll be interesting to see how big the digital sales becomes of, of, of their overall sales. So really interesting. Um, I guess in, in some ways this result has been priced into the market. Um, the stock's up 42%, nearly 43% year to date and seventy, nearly 75% over the last one year. So I guess in some ways the market was anticipating these good results. So it'll be really interesting to see now you've got to You've got to think about what's going to happen over the next year, um, or not just the next year, maybe the next few years, to see you know whether whether this is a good buy or not. So you know, stock's certainly not as cheap as what it was a few years ago, um, and 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 to be fair, they they have delivered on delivered some good results. So you could say the share price appreciation is justified. It'll be really interesting to see how it plays out going forward with Hallensteins. The other stock that we should have lumped into last week's episode is Michael Hill International. Um, most of you will know Michael Hill. It trades on the NZX and the ASX under the ticker code MHJ. It's got a really, I guess, interesting story if you go back to its founding by Michael Hill way back in the 70s or actually whenever it was. Um, it's it's worth just having a look over the history when you want to understand the company. Um, so they... Their annual report was quite interesting. So I think that Michael Hill has made a number of bets in the last couple of years that haven't worked out that well. Um, so they, they attempted to expand into the United States and they tried to open up another chain of stores under the branding Emma and Rowe. And what they've announced over the last year, both of these didn't turn out well, by the way, and they were both loss making. Is that they they've exited these operations in the United States and they're closing the Emma and Rose stores. So they're they're taking a cost of these closures of of twenty five point five million, um, which you know I I guess that comes out of your pockets as a shareholder when you see those sorts of charges. So it is disappointing in in some ways that. They've been losing money in these chains, and now they've taken a, a twenty-five point five million hit as well. Um, so that that's one way of looking at it. That that it is isn't you know it's only a three hundred eighty million dollar company, so it is it is decent whack. But I guess in in the other side of the the on the other foot, I suppose is if if they were to succeed in the United States, for example, the the rewards would have been significant for shareholders. Um, so in some ways you, you might argue that it, it's a, a bet that was worth making. And likewise, if you have a look at the success of La Visa or LOV trades on the ASX, um, if you have a look at that, from what I understand, they're quite similar stores to Emma and Rose, similar concepts. If you see the success that that's had on the ASX, I guess you can... They they saw the same market opportunity with Emma and Row, and you know while that didn't turn out, maybe you could argue it was a bet that's worth making. So, 
whenever you see a company close down operations like this, what they usually say is something along the lines of they've had a strategic review and they are going to focus on the existing strong brand of the company. And that's what's happened with Michael Hill. That's exactly what they came out and said. So they're focusing on digital. I'm not sure how digital pays out with jewellery. It'll be interesting to see how it goes there. I mean, if I was going to be buying a, I don't know, a a, a jewellery gift or a wedding ring or something like that, it's probably something I'd want to go into the store and have a look at. But, you know, I, I could be wrong there, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Revenue increased 4.4% over year. Over the year, they, they did it. Just looking at their balance sheet, they did strengthen that in my view, so they decreased their debt, um, and so it'd be you know a, a good thing there. Um, Canada continues to be the the real bright light for them, so they had strong same store sales growth there, increased three point eight percent year on year on year. New Zealand was also strong as well, increased two point three percent year on year, um, but there was a decrease in Australia of of point nine percent. So, I guess when assessing Michael Hill. I guess the, the the management is the same as what it was a couple of years ago. So the first thing you need to say is, you know, these these bad bets they haven't come off. Are they going to make more bad bets in the future? Um, if that's the case, it's maybe something you don't want to be investing in. Or you might look at it the other way and say, look, they, these were one offs, and they're going to strengthen their brand and focus on their their, their core sales. So that's a good thing for the company. Um, I think if I was looking at Michael Hill, I'd look to normalise the earnings excluding the the charges they've they've had off these for these one-off charges and try to figure out what you'd pay for the company that's the that's the real question in this case so the next company that i'm going to talk about has been a real darling of the new zealand stock market since its ipo in when was it october 2016 i believe now that's new zealand king salmon it trades on the nzx under the ticker code nzk and i believe it trades on the asx under the same ticker code nzk so this is quite an interesting company when when you look at it um, so the first thing I see is that the chairman is John Ryder. Now, John was one of the founders of Ryman Healthcare. Um, he's the RY in Ryman, and he's now the chairman of NZK. And I guess if, if you're a believer in following good people around the market, I, I know that, that John is a, a good operator, and I'd be surprised to see him getting involved in, in a company that he didn't believe to be a good operator himself. So I guess that's the first thing I look at when I see NZK. And when you look at the top 20 shareholders, he's about the, the fifth or sixth largest shareholder. He is nearly 1.5% of the company and just under 2 million shares. So it's fair to say that he has skin in the game as well. And the next thing you look at is NZK's balance sheet. They've got a strong balance sheet. They've got a low amount of debt relative to relative to what they're worth. Um so some, some some good things there. I guess what they're trying to do, and this is just my take on it, is you can see them trying to develop a brand around the, the King Salmon brand, the fact that it's in New Zealand. You can see, I guess, with the success of A2 Milk, where they're trying to position themselves in terms of having that New Zealand brand, the New Zealand product, the New Zealand agriculture, aquaculture, sorry, in, in New Zealand waters. I sort of, I, I get what they're trying to do there. And it has shown through in, in, in the revenue growth as well. So revenue came in at 160 million in 2018. That that's increased from 136 million in 2017. It's just whether they have the same potential for scalability. Um obviously 
I don't think their business is always going to be easy. You know, you, you saw issues through the year of stuff outside of their control, such as high water water temperatures. There's issues that that you know some people are saying they may have around the Greens being in, in, in government and everything like that. But all, all in all, I, th- I think they're doing a, a pretty good job. And you'd, you'd have to think that there is demand for their products so long as they can supply it, if that makes sense. Um, so when, when you look at valuation, they had free cash flow of around $10 million in 2018. So the stock's not cheap at about a $370 million market cap. So if you are buying it today, in, in my view anyway, you are making an assumption about future growth. There is There has to be growth built into that valuation. If they don't grow from here in the future, then you'd have to say they're overvalued. And But then again, you know, they have been growing and like like I said, there is demand there. So you need to make some sort of, I guess, call on what the growth's going to be and if you're happy paying this price for the growth. I was reading online on stuff during the week um, and I came across an opinion piece article on electricity generation. The title went along the lines of, it's all there in the accounts. Electricity distributors are making excessive profits. Um, so pretty inflammatory title. I'll put this article in the, the show notes as well so you can read up on it if you like. And it was one of those articles on stuff where the comments got turned off pretty quickly. So it was obviously one that arose aroused sorry a lot of I guess negative feelings in people about how much money the electricity distributors are making um so I thought well I, firstly I think the article obviously raises some good points so what you've got with the electricity distributors that they're, they're what's called regulated monopolies so they they're they're recognized by the government as having a monopoly but essential business so they do provide Electricity is obviously an essential service that everyone in New Zealand needs, and therefore their profits are regulated by the government so they don't get into the habit, which they've been known to do, of overcharging overcharging New Zealanders because that has obviously ramifications across the board. So it's it's a situation where the profits are regulated, but they are allowed to make a profit. And basically, the as you can see by the title of the article, the theme of the article was that these electricity providers are making too much profit, uh, more than what they should be. And I thought, well, we'll have a look at that and actually see if they are, because I'm, I'm not convinced that that the companies do make excessive profits. Um, so I, I thought I, I had a quick look at the balance sheet of Mercury and Genesis Energy. So free cash flow for Mercury, so that's, the the cash generated by op- operations minus capital expenditures was two hundred and forty four million in the last financial year, and they had six over six billion of assets. So the return on assets was four percent. Um, then I had a look at Genesis Energy. So same thing, free cash flow was about just under two hundred and fifty million on assets of four point two billion, and their return on assets was five point eight four percent. So when you're looking at four between four and six percent return on assets, it doesn't necessarily strike me as excessive profits to me. It doesn't it doesn't strike me as excessive. And these are these are businesses that require a lot of assets and a lot of capital expenditures. They always have and, and they always will. So I think it's important obviously that you have articles like this that, that keeps 
these companies honest. But I think it is also important for some realism as well. I, I think you, you get into a dangerous situation where you, you don't allow these companies to make profits. I think you, it's it's better for the country when these companies make profits. And the reason is, is if you look back on any historical data of New Zealand's energy requirements, not just New Zealand's or every country in the world virtually, if you look back at the energy requirements, they've gone up over time. So we use more power over time and it's likely in the future and it's certainly all the projections I've seen is that we'd need more electricity in the future. So what you, you need these companies to be able to make a return on their investment or else you'll never receive any investment in, in the electricity space. And you need investment in the electricity space so more development can happen in the future to meet future demand. Um, so it, it is really important that these electricity providers make a profit. Um, I, I think articles like these, why, why that they are good because it keeps people on their toes and it keeps people thinking about it. I, I, I think, you know, looking at the numbers, I, I don't see these companies making excessive profits at the moment. Um, but it is something that we need to keep an eye on. I sort of get the feeling that these articles are are written in, in many ways because they, they, they get clicks and they, they get good response in the comments and, you know, it incites some feelings in people. But it is important to put it into perspective in terms of what these companies actually make on their capital employed and they are capital-intensive business. They're going to require lots of investment in the future. So it is important that they're able to generate a return on their assets. And while we're on this um, the, the topic of energy as well, it might be worth just having a chat about petrol prices because there's a lot a lot in the news at the moment about petrol prices and most of it negative going on about government taxation and and council taxation and everything like that, which is obviously a real thing you know you, you can't argue that one of the reasons petrol prices have gone up is because of extra taxes by the government, which is no fun. Um, but if you actually look at the, some of the under, un, other underlying causes that isn't really spoken about as well, what you've seen in the last year is is crude oil has increased 51%, um, which obviously has a major impact on the underlying cost of petrol. Um, and the New Zealand dollar has lost 8.8% in the last six months against the US dollar, which is obviously the currency that we buy the oil in. So you need to put that in perspective in terms of what you're focusing your conclusions on when you're talking about petrol prices. And, and certainly that the price of crude oil and, and the the New Zealand dollar is out of the control of, 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 of the companies and the government and everything like that. But the argument tends to focus on on, on the taxation involved. And it is an interesting argument, it certainly is. I mean, I think the price of petrol is something that is, is terribly important and it has ramifications for inflation and things like that as well. So what you see is when the price of petrol goes up and stays up over a period of time is that the price of everything else starts going up as well. So petrol is, in my view, a very inflationary thing. And you know, an example of that might be, I don't know, a a delivery company that that supplies supermarkets suddenly has to increase their prices because their costs have, have gone up from a petrol perspective. And when 
their costs go up. They have to pass it on to the to the consumers, and and therefore the 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 price of your wheat bix in the morning goes up because it started at the at the petrol prices, and it, it might actually go further than that if you go back to the farmers that are that that are farming the products that go into the supermarket that gets delivered. So it has an impact across the board. So. I more sort of think along those sort of lines when I look at petrol price. I mean, obviously it sucks when you're filling up your car at the pump, but it, I think the 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 consequences run deeper than that, and it's something that I know. I think as investors, you need to be aware of for sure. I'm not sure realistically what you can do about it. It's not something you necessarily control, so I don't, I don't really get fired up about it or anything like that because it's it's, it's you know it's obviously out of my hands. But it is something you need to be aware of as investors for sure. Well I was pretty much all done with recording the material for this week's episode and then the news broke that Fletcher Building is tentatively looking to acquire all the shares of Steel and Tube. So Steel and Tube trades on the NZX under the ticker code STU. Fletcher Building as you probably know trades under the NZX and the ASX under the ticker code FBU. So Man, this is an interesting one. So it's, it's something that I, when it, as soon as it came out, I sort of knew I had to cover it for the podcast this week. So, what's been happening behind the scenes over the last couple of weeks, anyway? So it's important to start at the start. Is it looks like Fletcher Building were sort of talking to the board of Steel and Tube and talking to key shareholders of Steel and Tube to see, I guess, test the water to see if they'd be interested in a, in a potential takeover. Um, and and the price that's come out is is a dollar seventy per share. So it's important to note the first thing that this is only a, a non-binding offer at the moment. So it looks like Fletcher Building were were trying to do this confidentially to see if there's any interest there. And Steel and Tube have have come out and said that they essentially don't like the offer. They they think it undervalues the company and they don't think it should go ahead. That it's not a fair price for shareholders. Which you know. I find really, really, really interesting that they're not happy to sell the company at a dollar seventy, but not too long ago they were happy to sell part of their company in, in a rights in a rights issue at one oh seven, and it, it doesn't really make much sense to me that they that they think the com- that it's okay to sell shares at one oh seven, but it's not okay to sell at one seventy. You know, it's going to take me a while to get my my head around that, and it, yeah, it, it doesn't make much sense to me. Um, you know why are you selling shares at one oh seven if you think it's if you think your stock's undervalued at at, at one seventy it's it's a mystery and obviously you know the reason they were doing that is because they they need the money but yeah it's 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 a curly one um and on the Fletcher building side to me this is a a, a curly one as well because I'm I'm sure I remember not too long ago there was talk about their banking banking covenants and everything like that and now they're looking to come out and do a two hundred eighty million dollar acquisition and in some ways. You know, Steel and Tube has had their problems, but for Fletcher Building, it, it seems, you know, the the whole noise around Fletcher Building recently from the management has been that, you know, we, we, we're reducing our dividend, we're going to focus on becoming a more streamlined and efficient and, and focused business, and then bang, they're out making a, a, a big acquisition of a company that's had its own problems. So, I don't know, there's some real mixed messages here, and, and, and that's why it's so interesting. Um, well, the stock le- steel and tube leapt like fifteen percent on the takeover news. So, on 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 the news update. So, 
I, I guess you know there has been some value reflected there as as to the market at least thinks this is a, a reasonable chance that it's going to go ahead. So it's a non-binding offer at this stage. It'll be interesting to see if if Fletcher Building come out and and progress to the next stage of it. It would need some. Need clearance under the the Commerce Act. I think they'll they'll look closely at this one. Um, it it said that they'd also need approval from the Overseas Investment Office. Don't quite understand that, and I can't imagine that being an issue. But I think we'll we'll hear more about this, and it'll be really interesting to see if it if it if it plays out. Obviously, Fletcher Building being vertically integrated, they see some sort of synergies there. I'm not convinced that it's in line with the strategy that they said they were going to take the company forward with. You know, they've been trying to strip out... Basically, they've made lots of stupid acquisitions in the past and they're trying to get rid of some of those and now they're doing more acquisitions now. So they must really see compelling value in Steel and & Tube. And from a Steel & Tube perspective, you know... Maybe their their board is just trying to get a better price out of Fletcher Building by coming out and, and rejecting the offer. But it sort of seems to me that how how can you say at one minute you're happy to sell part of the company and dilute your shareholders at one oh seven in a rights issue, but then reject an offer that's fifty eight percent higher. So it'd be really interesting to see how this one plays out over the next wee while. Yeah, that's about all we have time for this week. It was good to talk about retail stocks again, finish off with, with Hallensteins and Michael Hill. I guess there's two quite contrasting stories there. Hallensteins coming back from the brink and Michael Hill heading, you know, to fixing the problems that they've had over the last wee while. Um, then we spoke about New Zealand King Salmon. That's obviously been a market darling. I guess the question is, even though they've got good people involved, whether they can keep this market darling status then when you think about some of the stuff that's been reported in the media surrounding petrol prices and electricity and everything like that i think it's always important to listen to those stories but keep things in perspective because you may very well notice something that other people don't pick up on and finally fletcher building and steel and tube that looks like it's going to be a, a, a bit of a public takeover. So it looks like there'll be some quite interesting stuff and information to come out from this as well. I'm particularly interested to see how the shareholders of both companies react to this. Um, so that's that's all we have time for this week. Um, as, as always, good luck out there and, and happy investing. And thanks very much for tuning in to the 10th episode.